0: So Money, Episode 312, Joya Das.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place.
0: Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Creating opportunities by starting your own business is one of the most empowering things you can do for yourself. However, it can also be overwhelming at times. The secret to getting more done isn't about finding more time, but rather finding the right tools. Our friends at Freshbooks couldn't agree more. Freshbooks has created an amazingly simple invoicing tool designed for small business owners who need to focus on their work, not their paperwork. Oh, and invoicing is only the start. Freshbooks lets you know know instantly when your client has viewed your invoice and even imports your expenses directly from your business checking account. Get ready to say goodbye to searching for receipts when it comes to tax time. If you do have questions, just contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get help from real live humans. No phone tree, no let me escalate that, just helpful service at the drop of a hat. To try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash so money and enter so money in the, how did you hear about? A section. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Hey, I'm Farnoosh, your host. A little under the weather. I've caught whatever it is my son has. I think it's just a head cold for the most part. I took some Mucinex last night and it drained me out. I woke up this morning I couldn't I was like, Water Water, please. It's that time of year. What can I do? It's like just it's just this is just gonna be my my new sultry voice for the next however many months. Hope everyone is feeling well, taking care of themselves. I still need to get my flu shot, so that's on my list this week. Now, I have a question for you. How old were you when you discovered what you wanted to be in life? You know, when you were all grown up? I think I was well, I think I was maybe 11 or 12, I knew I wanted to go into news and journalism, but then I kind of got sidetracked and I did finance, but hey, found my way back. My guest today remembers vividly at three years old (laughs) that she wanted to be a television anchor, and she did become a television anchor, but it wasn't without challenge. I first encountered Joya Das when I was a graduate student interning at CNN, It was an incredible internship. I had a chance to go backstage to New York Fashion Week. I had a chance to work closely with some amazing, talented journalists. And I got a chance to watch from the sidelines how anchors like Joya prepared for live shows and reported on stories from oil markets to student loans. Joya Das is one of the first South Asian females to be seen on mainstream television in the United States. She's been a business anchor for major networks for the last 15 years, including, like I mentioned, CNN, as well as ABC and Bloomberg. And right now, she's on the New York Stock Exchange floor every day for New York One News and CBS. And I just watched her give an incredible TED Talk called Rethinking Failure, which we also dive into on this podcast, talk about what made her want to do that and you know, the struggles that she had growing up in her family. In 2014, Joya was named the executive director of the South Asian International Film Festival presented by HBO. And she also helms a documentary production company bearing her name. Joya is currently running a women's networking initiative, which is fabulous. It's called Lady Drinks. It champions the South Asian female entrepreneur. You want to listen to this interview because we talk about Joya's determination with a capital D that time in college, for example, when she went to the bursar's office and the financial aid officer told her basically that no one had paid her tuition bill and, um, she was, Not allowed to come back to school. And she said, Oh, well, actually, I'm going to figure this out. And so at the ripe age of, I don't know, maybe 19 or 20, she figured out a way to pay for her own way through college. Talk about determination. We also talk about the entrepreneurial path of journalists today. Why you need to think outside the box. If you want to be a TV anchor, Maybe you want to be a TV anchor and other things because there's not, as it used to be, a direct path to getting on television. And being on television, frankly, isn't the end all anymore. Here is Joya Das. Joya Das, welcome to So Money. It's so nice to finally connect with you, at least voice to voice. And you may not know this, but I've had sort of a a girl crush slash uh, professional admiration thing going on for you since probably 2001 or two when I was a lowly intern at CNN and you were the star anchor at the financial network there. So I I invite you with admiration, but also humility. I'm so excited to talk to you.
1: Wow, Farnoosh. Thank you. My goodness. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I don't have words, but
0: thank you. You're so welcome, and so Joya. I mean, I I just watched your TED talk that you gave. I believe it was at Barnard College. I watched it online. It's one of my favorite things to do is watch TED talks. I'm, I'll go to a bar and just like watch TED talks at the bar. It's I'm, I'm <laughs> that's who I am. It's part of the current zeitgeist, isn't it? Yes, you were. You gave a very compelling speech, and it had to do with rethinking failure. You started with this statement that was so powerful, you know, that when you were young, you had this vision, which I think not many people do. I think that you're very fortunate if you know at a very young age what it is that you actually want to do when you're a big person, an adult. Yeah. And you wanted to be a television anchor. And you would watch the news with such seriousness and you had your papers and you were, you know, at at such a – how old were you? Maybe elementary age?
1: I was three or four years old. Oh, my gosh. It was a tradition in my – family home that we would watch Tom Brokaw Brokaw deliver the nightly news each evening. And I think for my father, who's an immigrant, it was patently American. And for me, it was my future.
0: When you were getting your first anchor job, did you remember the little Joya at three or four? And was that always what carried you through this journey that you knew that you had this fire in your belly and that you had made this proclamation at three that you were going to do this. And so it was accountability and tell me, take me to the moment where you like were handed your first television job, what you felt, where were you? What was the job? I think that one of my cameramen once put
1: it best after um, shooting with me for eight weeks on the ground in India. He said, Joya, you are like a heat-seeking missile when you want something. And anyone who <laughs> is on the periphery or on the sides better watch out because you're going to get it. So I say that but, uh, you know, with a little tongue in cheek, but really, truly, I think that I started off on this trajectory in college and I had to really pay for all of it by myself. Um, and we're talking about every move from Pennsylvania to DC to Boston to New Jersey to Wyoming and back to New York again. And so I was on a path and I was on a mission and I don't know that I ever really stopped to smell the roses or look back because I was, I'm a big believer in forward momentum and I was, you know, racing to that, to that, um, moment and and kept climbing from there, so you know it's really only once I stopped in like two thousand nine two thousand and ten um that I really looked back and I was like, I did this, you know I, I had this vision, and I did this now what
0: now what well, we'll talk about the now what in a moment, but i I, I want to explore also. The kind of journalism that you've pursued, I've known you as always being this financial reporter, but you were just mentioning that you had been in India. So tell us where your work has led you and some of the exciting stuff that you've covered.
1: Sure. Uh, so I have always done business news, and there's a reason for that. I think that anyone who meets me can, can tell right away that I have a pretty no-bullshit personality, and it fit well with that because, you know... Oil is either up or down. Um, the markets are either up and down. Gold is either up or down. You know, there's really no gray areas. And I really love the intelligence, and I love the math and the science that goes into explaining why a company is doing well, what's going into their products, why is it so expensive, what are they doing to divest assets. You know, I, I really love a lot of that. And the other fact. Is that there's a whole language, there's a whole, um, you know, there's a there's a lexicon that goes with delivering business news because a lot of it is unscripted. The market's changing so fast, you really can't script that in a prompter and then read it, you know, a few minutes later because it's already changed. And so. Um, there's a certain amount of intelligence that goes into delivering market news because you have to keep a lot of information in your head. And so when Delta and another airline merges, it's not enough to just say X and Y just merged. You kind of have to give the background of how many times they may have merged before, how many times they may have filed for bankruptcy. And what does this mean for consumer prices overall? Um, So that's been what I do. I do it on a freelance basis now. I went freelance back in 2009 after my contract with ABC came up because at the time I was doing morning news and morning news is a lot of chat. It's a lot of schlock um, and, you know, short stints. But I just felt like this was not the brand of journalism that I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to tell them beautifully. And I'm American born and I had been going to India for the very first time in my 30s. And I really felt a really overwhelming desire to do something bigger. I felt that I'd given up so much as a woman, as a South Asian woman, most importantly, to get to where I was, that the crime didn't fit the punishment. What I was doing on TV didn't fit um, what I was doing for work. So that's when I started my documentary production company. Um, I had some major projects over the years, including a three-year engagement with the Rockefeller Foundation. But I tell you all of that on pretext because with a view to grow the business, I had taken on a business partner and Greta had started something called Lady Drinks in Toronto, it was a it was a monthly network meetup for women in film and TV post-recession to network and get jobs. So when she had moved to New York and we went to City Hall to register our production company, she said, hey, Joya, could we start Lady Drinks in New York? And I said, sure, yeah, I don't care. Not realizing, <laughs> you know, I just was so nonchalant about saying yes to that. Not realizing that our first events, 300 South Asian girls oh started gosh. showing up to my events because I had been unapologetically telling my story this whole time of becoming a TV anchor and doing it without the parental support and paying for it all of my own, all on my own. And I had just been behind the glass screen this whole time. And I think all of a sudden I started doing these events and I was made accessible for the first time in person. And so now all these girls, the next generation was coming to share that they too were doing something different. And doctor, lawyer, engineer, they were entrepreneurs, they were, you know, in wealth management for big banks, and they wanted to share that. And I found myself in a place of responsibility. I couldn't just, you know, have girls come together and have drinks every month. I have access to a lot of great fortune 500 CEOs and authors and speakers and editors and so I started to curate the programming and bring in workshops and, and host dinners with authors and host retreats. So Lady Drinks is four years old as of next year. I'm starting to forge the calendar for 2016. And it's probably, of all the stuff that I've ever done, the biggest platform that I'm associated with today.
0: What has it taught you the most? I mean, if you had this program, if you were, let's say you were one of the young south asian women attending lady drinks but it was 10 years ago what do you think how do you think your trajectory would have been different what are you what do you think people are learning now the women are there are learning now that's uh creating a more exciting and different course for them than what you went through i think i i totally understand and when i was starting out in journalism the mantra was if you're a woman who want to be who wants to be on television you can't have a life you can't you can't get married you can't have kids and for and that was very um for me it was discouraging but at the same time i was determined to make it not true and i feel like i did but later in life you know and so there is a truth to that that there is this this industry just works so quickly and it's very unapologetic um but Knowing what you know now, how might your career have been different if you were starting again, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago?
1: I mean, television has changed drastically. You know, it used to be that you would have to go to a teeny tiny market somewhere in the middle of nowhere, straight out of grad school. And you would have to, um, you know, carry your own camera equipment and produce stories and then work your way up um, city by city to a market that had bigger eyeballs on it. And I certainly did my time in Casper, Wyoming, population 50,000, but I was in and out in six months because I went out there with a mission to make a tape, and I already knew I was going to do business news in New York. And so I needed to make that tape to show that I had the ability to deliver on camera. And with that tape, um, I remember cold calling the producer at Bloomberg and uh, making my way back to New York rather quickly. Um, in answer to your question, though, I look at someone like a Michelle fan. Um, who has built her entire empire based on a YouTube channel. I say to anyone today who tells me that they want to be on TV that – Everything you want is available to you at the consumer level. It's just up to you to put in the elbow grease and, and create some compelling content. Um, I was just reading about Sean Mendez, who used to do covers of, um, famous singers. And one day a record label called him up and now he's got a song that I listen to every time I'm at spin class at flywheel. I mean, there's <laughs> all this change for the way that people get discovered. Now the news will come and find you. If you can show that you have a demonstrable following and that is all up to you as to how much work you want to put into that.
0: It's so true. I was just reading the New York Times this weekend. Um, I don't know where it was. I think it was the Times and how, you know, for example, this is sort of a sidebar, but I think makes uh, a perfect case for what you're saying. Kate Hudson, right? She hasn't been in a movie in forever, but she's very active online. She's very much still in the eye of the public. And the article was like, why? And it's because she is not, she hasn't been in a movie and gosh, who knows how long, but that's not the point. You know, it's like, if you want to be successful in Hollywood or successful in entertainment, it's not like you have to just go make those big box office movies. And I think, you know, she's been proven to be a great brand to partner with, a great actress, if you want to call her that still, but yes, she was, of course, she's an actress, but you know, she's very active in, on, on Instagram and elsewhere, and that's helping her stay relevant. And I think to what you're saying, if you want to be an anchor woman or an anchor man, you know, the formula The of you know, going to the local market to the big market. I mean, there's only so many jobs at the end of the day on TV, right? But there's lots of interesting jobs that you can enterprise on different platforms. So, why not explore those at least simultaneously, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, look at the person that started that podcast serial. Oh, yeah. The Young Turks, I mean, the guy who started Young Turks has a phenomenal, phenomenal numbers when you look at their following. And then one fine day landed up on MSNBC. I don't think he's there anymore. But, I mean, I just think the paradigm by which you get on television has changed drastically. Um, There's, of course, a lot more folks who are on print. But to me, it's the same thing. I mean, if you're reading and you're disseminating your intelligence across a different platform and you've got people who, you know, actually actively look forward to what it is that you're, what you're writing, you know, why wouldn't I want to hear from you in person if they, they have their own sort of celebrity after a while. So I don't know. I, I think it's just changed dramatically and, and it's, it's at, in the hands of the users, it's in the hands of the viewers. It's no longer a bunch of guys locked in a boardroom somewhere making decisions <laughs> from, from a high tower somewhere.
0: Thankfully. Right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's a good thing. So, Joya, I mean, I, I don't know you that well, though, your TED Talk. Everyone check out Joya's TED Talk. Google it. It's on I think it's on YouTube. It's <clears throat> definitely worth watching because you learn so much about not just your experience, but the lessons that you extracted from that that I think are such great takeaways for everybody and your life. I feel you went through to the school of hard knocks in some ways and you put yourself through school and you had this mission and you accomplished it, but it wasn't without failure and it wasn't without trials. So let's start to talk about money a little bit. Let's let's unearth the financial uh, perspectives here. And, and let's start with my first question, which I ask all guests. It's what is your money mantra? Do you have a financial philosophy, Joya? I mean, as someone who covers financial markets day in and day out, I have a feeling you have an opinion or two about your own personal finances and how you drive them.
1: Well, I mean, in order to unpack that question, I think it's important to kind of flesh out a little bit my background. I mean, I was born to two immigrant parents and very much their, um, their mantra, I think, which I observed from a very young age was, what do other people think? And how do we keep up with the Joneses? Uh, For example, their decision to send me to um, a very expensive private school really boiled down to them being able to say at parties that their daughter went to XYZ school because it was a very exclusive place. But um, ultimately, and I talk about that in my TED talk, they didn't save the money for that. And second semester sophomore year, I went to register for my classes, and the registrar told me to leave because nobody had paid for the semester before, and nobody had paid for the semester uh, current. And for me, uh, you know, I am not somebody who suffers fools lightly. I, if you tell me no, that's probably the worst thing that you could ever <laughs> do. I remember starting a very, very aggressive letter writing campaign at that juncture in time because. As I said before, I'm a big believer in forward momentum. I was not going back home. And I I wrote a very aggressive um, set of letters asking for money. And ultimately, it was a doctor in Minnesota who agreed to fund half of my education and I jerry-rigged a series of loans to be able to get through the rest of college and struck up a deal with the devil. I remember signing a contract that my parents were no longer part of the equation, and I was going to start paying back those
0: loans the minute I graduated. How did you get someone to sponsor you? What letters were you writing and where were they going to? What, what was the plan there? I mean,
1: uh, the, the school gave me a list of um, like scholarships that I could apply to um, and, and claiming financial hardship. Um, so those were kind of the two, I was very clear about what I wanted to be, which was a journalist. And I was also very clear that I needed to get through college. So I was very specific in my asks to all of these, uh, folks that they asked me to write letters to. And eventually that letter landed in the lap of a doctor in Minnesota who had set aside a scholarship for aspiring journalists. And, um, and it was, you know, call it what you want. At the time, looking back, it was that I was so clear and so, um, steadfast that I was going to get through school and this was going to happen for me. And there was no way in hell that it wasn't going to, that, um, there was, there was, you know, not to get all new agey, but looking back the universe conspired to make sure it happened for me because I wasn't taking no for an answer.
0: Well, you weren't taking no for an answer. I think that's what ultimately got you what you needed. You know, I think the universe heard you, but that's because you were out there loud and clear. <laughs> Specific. I was Specific. Very- Have you been in touch with this man, this doctor? I feel like he would be so proud to know that his money was very well spent.
1: You know, I did. I reached out after graduate school and when I got my first job, um, Probably on air, you know. My first job on air was at Bloomberg, and um, his daughter responded saying, "Thank you so much." Um, he's since passed on, um, but I'm, you know, I'm
0: sure that he would be very proud if if he was alive today. Oh, that's a great way to, uh, you know, l- l- continue his uh, his legacy. Yeah, great. Cool. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about failure. Your TED talk was called um, "Rethinking Failure." What's been your greatest financial failure, Joya? That was just a story about complete and utter success, win. But if you had to identify a failure in your life that, uh, you know, you triumphed in the end, but it was an important thing to go through. And um, what was it? Where were you and what happened?
1: I, when I started my production company, had started a film. Um, where I'd taken a whole production crew to India to um, shoot this film. And it was my first feature-length documentary. It was about curable blindness in children in India. I'd allied with a foundation there to um, not only be my buffer while I was shooting this, but it was really centered on their message and what they were doing, because this film was always going to be a fundraising vehicle for them. Um, I was producing it with my partner and boyfriend at the time. And by the time we got back from India, we had split up. And I think that I did something that now I look back was kind of stupid. But that same operating mentality that I had in college, I know was at work then. I liquidated my 401k um, after after fundraising like crazy to get the film finished to bring it into the finish line because I didn't want to be sitting there talking about a film I once shot. Um, I wanted to finish it because I really wanted to open up this second avatar, which was somebody who could helm a production both here and abroad, so liquidating my four hundred one k at the time got me to the finish line, and I did successfully build that avatar and it led to my engagement with the Rockefeller Foundation for subsequent three years but um I think that if if old joy older joy, I could go back to younger joy at the time and say. Let you know leverage some advice on her. It would be to not have done that.
0: I wanted to ask you about this documentary f- company what What's going on right now with it? How have you used that failure to your advantage in some ways?
1: Well, I mean, I take on one major production a year, so subsequent to that film, when it finished and premiered at a film festival presented by h b o here in the city, I had a three year engagement with the rockefeller foundation and i and I traveled to Nairobi to um really talk about the programs that the Rockefeller Foundation funds because they're not on the ground in the trenches doing the work. They fund projects that have a track record of success. Um and then after that I directed a series of photo essays of women survivors of domestic violence. Um a, a, an organization that was turning twenty five. Um was having their annual gala and they really wanted to figure out a way to make it special. And in my mind, you could put all the park Avenue princesses you want to put up there at, at the front of the crowd. But ultimately I think the biggest ambassadors of their work were the women who've come through the program, gotten away from their abusers and are on the, are on the other side. So that was the project in 2014, uh, sorry, 2013. And then 2014 I helmed the film festival, the very same one, where my film had premiered, um, I became ex- named executive director, and then this year, I believe it or not, executive produced a music video for a 93 year old woman. What? Who won a Eurovision contest last year with her first video, and so she wanted to produce a follow up video to enter, and she's on her way to Switzerland to perform on stage at whatever the Switzerland equivalent is of America's <laughs> Got Talent. Are you gonna go with her? I'm not going with her, but the band. <laughs> I think the funding covers her and her band to go and perform.
0: That's exciting. So you, I heard you really like. I could like see and hear your smile. When yeah, you telling that story is that like how diverse is your life right now? How awesome! Like you started at three years old wanting to be a television anchor, and now you're directing videos, music videos for nine year old women, <laughs> <clears throat> among other things. It's not like that's the only thing you're doing. What gives you the most joy out of your work right now? Honestly,
1: when I pulled, I mean, you know, with Lady Drinks, whether it's a Lady Drinks or whether it's a production, I am a fierce project manager. And when everything runs on time and everything has come together and there's been no major glitches and I sit back at the end of the day and I'm like, I did that. And here's proof. That to me is an amazing thing. I think that I started out wanting to be a television anchor. And now at the age of 43, I realize that I am a master at taking a germ of an idea and turning it into something. And so that today kind of is my calling. Uh, I'm the person you call in when you want to take something and make it happen.
0: And I would say even from your days in college when you were gerrymandering the student loan office, that was project management uh, and and that was crisis management in in some ways. So we're going to talk about habits soon, Joy. I'd like to ask guests about their financial habits. but I want to take a quick break and just... Say thank you to our sponsor for the show today. one of our sponsors it's audible dot com I actually recorded an entire book <laughs> two books actually took days and days and days, but it was actually kind of fun to do it to be on the other side. Do you like to listen to your books ever so I you know I remember when I first got out of uh, graduate school and moved from Boston
1: to New York. my then boyfriend was still in Boston, and so I used to listen on the drives back and forth to um a bunch of murder mysteries, and and the author escapes me right now. I can't even believe I can't remember who it is. But uh,
0: on long drives, absolutely. I think that Audible has really given way to more. Audio platforms like podcasts. And so just want to mention that they have over 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products, including my own book, Psych Yourself Rich and When She Makes More, and the books of many of the guests that we've had on this show, including Tony Robbins and Robert Kiyosaki. And get this, Audible is going to give you a free audiobook and a 30 day trial today. If you go to audible.com forward slash so money, that's A U D I B L E dot com forward slash so money. So grab your free book and check it out and tell me what you think. And thanks to Audible for sponsoring us today.
1: Thank you. That's exciting. you know The thing is that I love also listening to um, inspirational, motivational uh, podcasts when I'm on the subway. I feel like that's a great way to kind of set the tone for the day. So I'm excited to be able to try that.
0: Cool. All right. Let's talk about habits, Joya. What's your number one financial habit? Do you have something that you do? Uh, routinely, maybe it's not every day, but it is conscious that helps you with your, with your businesses or with your money.
1: So I'm in this unique position now being an entrepreneur and running a 501c6, which is lady drinks, and that I have to constantly fundraise. And, you know, I've been fundraising for what? At least since 2009, it's going to be 2016. So seven years. And ultimately, I realized that people invest in you. It's a little bit sort of cause agnostic, but people invest in the person. And so I realize when you reverse engineer that, when I'm asking for money, a a lot of those asks come from a place of, of a relationship that I've built with somebody first. It's not enough to just be able to put out your hand and ask for a check You have to have invested in that relationship. And so for me, now sitting on the other side of it, probably where that doctor once sat when he made that scholarship for me to be able to get through school, is to be able to fund a lot of these programs. But that also means that I'm constantly fundraising. And I sometimes have to make upwards of 15 asks a day before I come up with the money that I need to run programming.
0: What do you you find is the the best way to ask? I mean, besides making it personal and making your case, but like when you get that yes out of the 15 or 14 no's. What was the difference?
1: I was specific. I was very specific. I didn't say, I need you to sponsor lady drinks. I said, I need 15 books For my January 23rd event, this is who the speaker is. This is who the author is that, you know, this is the book. This is why I want this book to be in the hands of every woman as they walk out the door. And I want you to know that you will be credited in the 100 photos that are going to be generated from that particular event. So I'm very specific about what I'm asking for, the amount I'm asking for, and how I will credit them on
0: the back end. So brilliant. And so now, Joya, we do this little fun way to close the show. It's sort of our lightning round. It's called So many Fill in the Blanks. I just purposely did not send you these questions because I want to get your kind of spur of the moment response. And so I'll start a sentence and you finish it. And the first thing that comes to your mind, just blah, say it. It's
1: gut check time. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 bucks, the first thing I would do is –
1: Oh my gosh, I would go to Mallorca,
0: Spain. Why are, so I went there on my uh, honeymoon. Um, have you ever been there? I have not, but it's been on my vision board for some time. Oh, you'll love it. There. It's so oh gosh, what is the word? It's it's like a fairy tale island because they have all these castle not castles, but these really old, old buildings. I mean, I think they were um Housed by kings and queens at one point, and the streets are incredibly narrow. You could probably high five your neighbor across the street, window to window. The food is delicious because it's Spain, and everything there is just beyond. And it's really close to Barcelona. And then, if you really want an exciting night, which we didn't do this, but um, Ibiza is right, like a jump, hop, skip Uh-oh. away. A party Ibiza, it is Ibiza. <laughs> Ibiza, yeah. So I encourage you to get there. That was. Uh, think of all the places we've been, that is definitely topping the list. So, yep. And you'll have a lot of money left over. $100 million from this lottery is going to get you a lot of trips back and forth if you wish.
1: Yes. Well, I would travel. I, I have a list of places I want to go. Mallorca is just one of them. But I would go to Lake Como and I would go to Australia and I would go to Turkey and I would go
0: to the Himalayas. I have a very long list. I just interviewed a woman – or actually, she'll be on the show later um, – she went to North Korea by herself on, quote-unquote, vacation. She's coming up with a book about it because you can – can you imagine? Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating what she went through. So stay tuned for that, folks. Okay. The one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is?
1: I have an Indian cook that delivers food for the week every Monday night at 930. And it's just because I will eat toast or popcorn <laughs> – <laughs> or I don't know, you know, like I'll just eat garbage and there's no point in going to the gym if I'm going to just sink it by eating a bunch of garbage. So the best thing I have done for myself is ally with this elderly Indian woman who drops off my food for the week. And it just, it just, it warms my heart because I know now okay. when I come home, I always have a
0: home cooked meal. You know, that's, and, that's a brilliant business, by the way, that she has started.
1: Yes. And, and, and she makes a meal that my mother makes that I can't get anywhere in New York. And that's really part of the reason I'll probably never let, let her go. How did you find her? Um, through friends of friends, you yeah. know, honestly, a lot of, a lot of my relationships now have because I built this huge network through lady drinks and there is a, another woman that uses her and she was talking about all the food that she makes because she just had a baby and she doesn't have time to cook anymore. And I was like, you know, I would really love to use that service too.
0: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I just uh, ordered Munchery to come to my house tonight. And um, Munchery, if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, yeah. <laughs> let me know. And it's, I don't know if you ever used them, but basically it's chefs all around the city who, who create a menu every week for, yeah. the, for the seven days. And you can pick your menu and it's really relatively affordable and it's, you know, uh, it's well made and it's healthy. So, you know, at least you're not getting fast food.
1: I will check that out.
0: (laughs) Muntree.com. Yeah. Okay. Uh, One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is?
1: Oh, wow. Um, Material things do not buy you happiness. It's uh, peace of mind and security that buys you that happiness. And um, I think I grew up in a household where I had to undo a lot of behaviors around money and spending money to get material things that ultimately did not buy you that security. But I had to kind of learn that the hard way, undo it, and then sort of reprogram myself as an adult
0: we were talking before we were recording about how we, we both of us are children of immigrant families and even in the Iranian culture there is especially in certain pockets of the country like in LA there's this huge emphasis on material possessions and money is power and you know designer labels is power and i just find that so exhausting because you're never you're never fulfilled and obviously we know that Money can't buy happiness, but it particularly can't buy happiness when it has to do with, you know, labels and flashy objects.
1: And you can wear that fabulous dress or own that fabulous purse, but that feeling that you really want, that high that you really want is temporary, isn't it? It's not necessarily permanent.
0: It is not. It is not. And I think, you know, you were lucky you realized that at a younger age. I think sometimes you don't realize that until you're much older and you, you're you wondering why you have this, like, void in your life. You're like, but I have all these beautiful things. Yeah. yeah. And mm. me, I functioned
1: under that, um, even though I was earning money myself, I really functioned under that <clears throat> for a long time, probably in my 20s. You know, it's the first time you're making money. It's the first time that you have, like, really the decision-making power to, as to what to do with that money. And so I definitely made my fair share of buying material things and mistakes. But I understand now, you know, how much more important it is to just have something from Forever 21 or (laughs) H&M and have some money in the bank for the next year.
0: I'm wearing a dress from Zara as we speak. Yeah. And um, I have a necklace from Forever 21 that I love and I get a lot of compliments from. So, you know what? It's it's possible to get through life without spending a fortune on – Silly things.
1: It's all in the way that you carry yourself. You're ultimately the product underneath all of that sartorial
0: hot mess <laughs> hot mess. I love that you have such a way with words has anyone ever told you that you have like a beautiful like vocabulary of words like a, a, like I love the words that you're pulling into this interview like words that I've never heard of actually that I need to look up and start using because I love the way they sound <laughs> yeah
1: you know, it's funny the way I got that TED talk is because Joya online that you see in front of everybody and then you get Joya offline and ultimately the person that was booking that TED talk heard me like ranting and raving about something Offline, and she was like, Have you ever thought about doing a TED talk? There you <laughs> go. When she was just like, Wow, there's this whole other joy that nobody knows.
0: Mm. When I donate, I like to give to blank because
1: I grew up in a home of domestic violence. Unfortunately, my father um, really took it out on my mom and on uh, and. Quite frequently. So today, a lot of my money and efforts go to supporting women's causes, but more specifically, causes that aid and support South Asian female survivors of domestic violence. In fact, on December 19th, I'm presenting um, two dance performances that are centered around this very subject. And then the, the dance company asked me to come up and speak. And I was like, that's fine. But I think that it's more important for us to create a call to action for the audience. And so I'd like to introduce one of these um, agencies or one of these nonprofits that actually do work with um, women survivors and, and have them at least talk about a hotline or something that people can reach out to. Because everybody knows a friend or knows somebody that might be in, in crisis but hasn't, doesn't have the courage to speak up.
0: Part of that struggle is the you feel financially trapped, too. A lot of women stay in abusive relationships because they don't know what the alternative is. And sometimes like if you don't know how you're going to support yourself and be financially independent, that's a scary thing. It's such an important work that you're doing. So the 19th, we'll put that information on the website as well, if that's helpful.
1: Yes, it's uh, I believe it's at Montclair State University.
0: And last but not least, I'm Joya Das. I'm So money because.
1: Oh, wow. I'm so money because... I glean so much joy in creating experiences and bringing people together. This past weekend, I brought 26 people to the Nutcracker, but the added bonus for the crowd from Lady Drinks is that they got to get a tour of the backstage of the sets before the performance. And The looks on the mother's faces and the children's faces, the daughters, the next generation that came along. And ultimately they were all networking, you know, they got to have the shared experience and then they all got to sit together and and meet each other and witness, you know, the performance. And I had something to do with that. You know, my 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 social media feed today is jammed with pictures and people mentioning how much joy that experience brought them. And there is nothing more money than that, being able to create that.
0: Congratulations, Joya. I'm so inspired, truly, by the work that you're doing. And I'll have to check out, if I if I may, <laughs> Shadow Lady Drinks at one point. I mean, I know it's for South Asian women. Well, the brand is South Asian
1: women because I couldn't be in everything to everyone. But that by no means does not, you know, there is a range of ethnicities and women that come to my events. It's by no means constrictive.
0: Okay, good. I'm there. I would love for you to come
1: I'm, in, I'm, you know, my December event just passed, but in January I'm hosting a manifest party. So let's pretend the year is 2018 and you did win that lottery ticket or I did build my home in Mallorca. How would you show up dressed as and with the props that Connote you having achieved that, and the and these manifest parties are actually very powerful mechanisms. It's almost like a rocket booster of to create your intentions and make them happen when you so put so much energy and emotion into what you are going to wear and show up as, and you have to be in character your enti- in the entire evening.
0: So here's a, an assignment for listeners. For this episode, go to so dot and in the comment section, tell us what you're manifest, what you're manifesting, <laughs> and what you would come as if you were going to go to this party in twenty, is it eighteen? Yeah, I mean, pick a year, you pick know? a year, and tell us. I think that would be fun to share back on the show and also to read in the comment section. So do that. That could be fun for us to to uh, to share and to in. Yeah, engage with. So thank you so much. Joya, again, thank you a million times. Thank you. Happy holidays. And hopefully we'll see you in the new year in person. Absolutely. I can't wait to meet you in person. Thank you, Farnoosh, for today. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Joya, and I hope you do, check out her website, lady-drinks.com. She's also on Twitter at Joya Doss, D-A-S-S. And like I said, go to the comment section for her Blog post at somoneypodcast.com and let us know what you're manifesting. What do you want your life to be in the next two years, financially, career-wise, family-wise, socially? And while you're at somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, leave me your question because that is the best way to get in touch with me and I will respond on the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. And if you haven't downloaded it yet, please do, my free ebook, So Money Secrets. It's a compilation of some of the best advice given to me on this podcast. From people from like Tony Robbins to Robert Kiyosaki to Lewis Howes, Rebecca Jarvis. It's free. So just download it and happy holidays. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money.